Welcome to The Rest is Education. I'm Ross Borthwick. I'm Aaron Huber. And I'm David Marshall. This week, we're looking at how teachers become better teachers. Now, you're probably all familiar with the concept of lifelong learning. And I think, you know, everyone has an interest and and everyone likes to pursue those interests. But um, within the formal setting, I suppose one of the, the main ways to improve teaching through a school is through CPD. And so we're going to be looking at that first. Now, what is CPD and why is it important in schools? Thanks, Ross. Yeah, I, I mean, CPD is, is fundamental to schools and it's fundamental to teachers' development and therefore fundamental to pupils being looked after and pupils learning better and really schools, I think, flourishing in so many ways. But there's a lot of different types of CPD, of career professional development. Um, we have, for example, safeguarding, which is, covers a lot of areas. We have health and safety and we have pedagogy. Can you guys think of any other examples or particular examples of those ones? So I know, obviously, through being a deputy DSL uh, in in the past, safeguarding is is obviously a, a growing area of, of CPD or continued professional development. And schools are putting an increased focus on actually training all staff, whereas maybe previously it would just be the DSL getting trained and maybe one or two deputies. And so it's quite common to find all all members of staff being trained up to level two and in the boarding setting it's usually level three. Uh, just define for us what a DSL is again for those listeners who aren't familiar with the terminology. So the designated safeguarding lead so ultimately responsible for the children's welfare within school and um, for raising concerns and, and really dealing with uh, for instance the LARDO the local area designated officer um, social services in other words and um you know, MASH and, and those sorts of organisations, depending where you are within the UK. And, and I'm sure organisations have, have different but similar terms elsewhere. And this includes well-being as well as, as a sort of general sort of overview. And, and, and that's become much more significant since the pandemic, since lots of children have been off school uh, for long periods of time, not just in the UK, but abroad. So these things, are, I think, I, I don't know, Aaron, if in your setting, it's the same, but Health and safety and safeguarding, particularly safeguarding, have become much, much bigger uh, in over the last few years. Is that the same for you where you are? There's been a, a bit more of a push on mental health, uh, usually led through the school counselor, which I think is appropriate, um, and sort of things to look out for in, in ways to support our students uh, who you know, seeing things that we may not see unless unless they're pointed out to us. Um, I just want to point out one other one uh, that I don't think influences our teaching practice at all is, is CPR training that we all go through every two two years is what I'm doing. I assume you guys are on the same boat with, with that one. Yeah, I think, um, and I all, all, we probably all remember doing the fire training uh, at one of our previous schools where we had to stand in the playground and all had to go up using the fire hose, which is quite fun. Um, there's definitely... Yeah, there's the CPD, which doesn't necessarily affect children in a sort of direct sense, like, you know, everyone having a go at using the right fire hose. And the CPD, like the safeguarding stuff, which will have an impact or might have an impact on children. And then there's pedagogy, which is um, all about the learning and teachers getting better at teaching their their subjects and, and their, their classes, um, which I think has just seen a massive real takeoff in the last few years um i think maybe 10 years uh there's been a lot more about how teachers can get better um and in the uk we're seeing a lot more sort of conferences and events like that ross um, i wonder if you might tell us you know just to sort of give us an idea uh, what do you think good cpd looks like for you uh, from your experience so i've uh, t- two uh, cpds come come to mind one was immensely practical and I was very junior. I just started my NQT and we had to go down for a, a training day to Godolphin and Latimer. And um, I remember their maths, I think maybe head of maths gave a very short talk um, on on actually basically a, a hack. And um, it was incredibly simple. And it was a, a spacing and interleaving game that he introduced us to. 
and I still use it now, you know, a decade on, and it's still one of the most effective things that I use. So I think CPD doesn't need to be necessarily a whole day. It doesn't need to be particularly theory heavy. Uh, it can actually just be something short and practical that, that people can use in their lessons and, and that has has been proven to, to have had a great effect. So I think those sorts of opportunities to share practice personally I really like uh, and the the other thing that stands out to me was I was feeling a bit um, I, I suppose I'd been teaching for maybe four years and I was lacking in inspiration and uh, I saw an opportunity to go along to this well it was actually a conference I'd never heard of before but it was it was down in Houston and it was called the Positive Education Network the International Positive Education Network, and it was their inaugural conference. And, and now the IPEN conference is a massive international deal. But at the time, it was really quite new. And it was led by someone called Anthony Seldon. And, you know, we're, we're all familiar with him. But if you're not familiar with him, he is certainly worth looking up. He had put together this day of really inspirational speakers from around the world. And I just left that day with a spring in my step. And whilst not all of it was practical, a lot of it was theoretical. We used it to great effect. So I think sometimes you do need to hear from really inspirational characters that have been there and done it. Um, and, and you sort of gain their energy. So it sounds like uh, one, two of those big features that you're talking about. One is practical usage and the other one is inspiration, something that makes you want to then go back and, and and apply something in your classroom that makes you want to go back 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 to the um to the class and and do something with it. Aaron, what about you? Do you have a particular um what would you say that good CPD looks like for you or any examples of it? Um like I think that what it what it looks like it could look like a lot of a few different things, but let me give a, a two two examples that stick out in my head. Is and I'll, I'll give shouts out to the organizations that put them together. Uh, one is through Facing History and Ourselves, which is a U.S. based uh, sort of humanities program um, based on looking. It started looking at how to teach the Holocaust in, in effective and meaningful ways, and it's branched out from there to look at civil rights and to look at um, upstanders and um, a lot of other sort of, it's, it's really grown, but it was a workshop that, that took about three days uh, in teaching a specific unit. So it was a lot of practical advice, a lot of looking at the material and looking at the theory behind it. Uh, and then, and then how we can apply it effectively with our students and modeling that, and then actually sort of going through some of the activities and how they would work and what might go wrong with it. So really practical, what you can do, how you can implement it with your kids directly. And, and you sort of walked away with something, with things you could, you could do the next day or, you know, implement into your units right away. So super useful, really good use of time. Walked away with that feeling like I had mastered that, that unit and being able to teach it with authority. The mm. second major one is a, a huge CPD provider is through National Geographic. Uh, as a geography teacher, that's something I, I go to quite a bit. Uh, uh, they have some of the best resources, but they have, uh, I went through the National Geographic Education Educator Certification Program, which takes quite a long time. There's a capstone. Uh, and again, there's, it starts out with, with sort of workshops going through the theory and the ideas behind it. Then you look at how you can put it into practice into your classroom and then it ends with, I think, a really key part that a lot of CPDs don't have, and that's uh, reflection on on your practice, how that would work, and what you've done. Um, so those are the two I would I would give a major shout out to as being really well done. And again, that feature that comes across is practicality and use, use usability in the classroom, and so many teachers as well say or have said to me what I really want is something I can just take back into my classroom and use. And um, I really like what you said there about the reflection time for the National Geographic training as well. It sounds like that's an added dimension, which you're right. We don't, we, we normally get those things, or at least we used to in the old days when I was going to GCSE marking training and things where you had to fill out the quality of CPD and it was just a little tick sheet and they probably still do it. 
And it, it felt like a meaningless exercise because it wasn't real reflection. It was actually quite rushed and everyone was rushing to kind of get off and get their trains and go home, you know, by the end of the day. So it wasn't reflective at all in that sense. And that sounds like a, a super important thing to have as an aspect. Without the reflective piece, I mean, mm. it helps build that that sort of motivation to 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 implement and to change what you're doing. If you mm. take time to think about what you're doing and 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 how what you're learning could improve your practice. I think mm. the proximity as well of of that thinking time, that application time to to the event, you know, if it can be on the day, that's even better. But um, you know, if if not, you do need some time to actually put it into practice. Otherwise, as we all know, we work in such a fast-paced environment, it can get easily forgotten. Yes. Is it something that if you've used it, you're going to keep using it, right? Or if you found it to be effective in the classroom, whatever you took from either of those days, uh, Ross or Aaron, if you've used it once and you found it effective, does that mean you're going to use it again? Most definitely. The the Nat Geo program transformed how I teach Mm -hmm. on a, on a, on a massive level. So just the whole approach I take to teaching. Um, But I think, what you guys are saying is is the the kind of idea of trying to fix a boat as you're sailing it is is a difficult thing to do. So it needs to be achievable. You can't um, expect, you know, in the middle of the year, what your what your CPD goal can't be to transform how how everybody's teaching because that's not attainable. And we'll talk about that and how hard changes and how much uh, impact just changing an environment can have on all the teachers because it's something I think that a lot of leaders, particularly new leaders come in and want to make changes. It's a, quite a natural instinct. Um, but I've, some of the best leaders I've worked with are ones who've spent a long time watching and thinking about what needs to be changed before they actually go ahead and change it. And then often, in fact, always successful leaders put in place the mechanisms of change, the things that are going to enable that to work. So we'll definitely talk about that in a bit. Um, if it sounds like I'm interviewing Ross and Aaron um, on this one, uh, it, maybe that's because I sort of am, but it's also just sort of as getting a sense of how we all experience, yeah, good and bad CPD. For myself, I suppose if there's an organization I'd want to give a shout out to initially, it's 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 called Nate. And as an English teacher, I've just adored this organization for all of my career. That's about 15, 16 years. It stands for the National Association for the Teaching of English. And they, a uh, UK-based organization, um, they ran a grammar course in 2012 that I went along to. And again, a bit like you're saying, Aaron, it transformed my view of teaching grammar because it was so inspiring as well. And again, this links back to what you were saying, Ross, with the um, uh, with the uh, anti-Selden sort of event. It, it made me think about grammar as a practical thing as something which has a function and rather than just teaching say prepositions or nouns or fronted adverbs or whatever it is it it was thinking about what do these things mean and what do they do for a piece of writing and what do they do for a piece of speech uh so there was some great stuff there that again is still influencing my my teaching 10 years later so this now, idea of adding purpose to to what you were doing, more purpose to to teaching that is kind of mm-hmm. what you're saying. Purpose and knowledge as well. I think I think if 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 we think about your National Geographic one and also the the Holocaust one, I'm sure along with the other aspects, there was a lot of passing on of knowledge. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, knowledge. You were better, is, well informed. Yeah, walked away with with definitely. In theory and in uh, mainly with, I'd say, the, the facing history ourselves and with the content. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, one of the keynote speakers at that IPEN conference was was Marty Seligman, who is an educational psychology sort of heavyweight. And he has an awful lot of research behind him. And, of course, he's able to concisely put that research into something really packageable that you can then take away. And I think as a novice in that, in that field it was so useful to me um and and really it's it's all it's all about just hearing from experts who have some evidence or some some experience to back up what they're saying isn't it and and that is ultimately inspiring and then we feel rejuvenated and we want to 
put that into our own practice uh and and we can we can believe in it you know because they they've used it to good effect themselves should we talk about bad cpd have you got any examples of what bad cpd looks like you don't have to mention the organizations or anything like that it could just be taken over a whole series of different cpds you've experienced that you think that kind of thing is really the thing i don't want to go near again i never want to spend half an hour or an hour or a day ever doing what does that look like i think that uh, i don't want to speak for for you guys as well but we experienced one together uh and it's a very serious topic but the this the method of getting the information across was fundamentally flawed and that's some of those computer-based safeguarding of courses that were mandated to take and they're they're uh, they lack a lot of the things I think you're going to tell us about David or what makes good CPD it became a tick box exercise and not a meaningful learning exercise so for for me um actually one so, of the worst CPDs I've I've been involved in was actually something that I delivered <laughs> and um I'm uh, being quite reflective as hopefully we all are but um I was asked quite some time ago to put together a CPD on residential trips and I was given a, a brief and I you know put an awful lot of effort into preparing this CPD and I was given the amount of time you know I, I knew how long I had to fill and put together a wonderful PowerPoint you know lots lots of effort and practice went into this and I remember rehearsing at home you know in front of fee and what have you and um, then delivering it on the day and thinking 90% of the people in this room, don't need to know what I'm saying. And and since that point, I've reflected, and I think actually sometimes appropriate CPD is is about the audience, isn't it? And and really that that would have been a great yeah. that would have been a great C- piece of CPD for a handful of people in that organization. Mm. And that's that's such a an amazing realization and such an amazing reflection as well to to look around and and know that you're wasting people's time. And I think that's been a driving motivator for me in um, any leadership positions I've been in. Uh, the question sort of has been, how can I not waste people's time? Because as someone who is full-time in the classroom, um, I know how valuable that time is. And I know that how rare it is to be given time by your organization, by your school, to be able to deliver something. Um, because Because largely because largely they've got these um, the increase of safeguarding and health and safety has meant that we, we don't have as much time for pedagogy, uh, improving our subjects, improving us as teachers. So that's a real, uh, that's a real learning point. I think Ross there and um, something I recognize as well from years of sort of either being in CPD or likewise running CPD Aaron, what about you? You have some well, bad experiences just, to relate? I do. And it, it, it's, it relates to Ross's idea of, of not, uh, not sort of being in the right audience for not being mindful of someone's time. And I, I'm like, I would have found that a very useful CPD, Ross, because that's something I'm interested in. So um, if you want to run it by me one day, I'll, I'm happy to listen and maybe you'll feel more uh relieved about it but me too i think i missed that one so i'd love to love to hear that uh but when you leave a a cpd if it's like a one-day thing or they bring in a keynote to talk to the whole school and this is kind of i think when it can happen the most is when the audience is just the school or all the teachers because all the teachers don't need to hear everything uh especially when you're in a a school that bridges you know ks one two and three it's the it's not always uh useful for everyone uh so, but i i tend to when i feel like my time has been wasted that i i'm not the right audience or perhaps no one in the room is the right audience for this particular speaker which has happened um n- not only there could have been some useful information tidbits in what this person has has tried to say but my just sort of primal brain just gets angry that my time's been wasted and whatever kind of little bits I've could have taken out of there just kind of get overshadowed by my, my frustration for having, having that not been very useful for me. 
Um, so I think, yes, be very mindful of who you're talking to and what they actually need to know. Uh, otherwise, you can can turn the audience against you. And a perfect example of that, and it's going to be hard not to, I'm not going to say the person's name, uh, but we, we had someone, a, like a keynote, come in and talk to the whole school at one of the schools I was at. And the ascent, the, the message got boiled down to, to two points. And it, it, the problem with it was sort of, it was sort of toxic positivity. Um, but uh, her, her message was to be flexible and adaptable. And it really just that just that phrase just kept getting repeated, but there were no strategies. There was no, you know, how, how do I put that in place? What does that look like? How can I be more flexible and adaptable? Uh, and it really just came down to just, you know, sort of the idea of you're telling a bunch of really busy and stressed out people to be more flexible and adaptable and teachers sort of are already that. So you are not helping me. You are just wasting my time. And um, because it's a podcast that listeners can't see, but I'm nodding a lot here along to what you're saying because it really resonates, Aaron. And I, I feel that that's a classic case and maybe we could we could talk about that now. But uh, is the, there doesn't seem to be any landing strip pr- created for that um, CPD. So you have to have a, an audience that's ready to receive it. If your, your your teachers and your staff have just gone through a year of grueling sort of work on something with resources not really there and leadership sort of all over the place, or if they've um, if there's been COVID and all sorts of things have been happening with people being ill, and you have someone come in to do a sort of supposedly motivational talk, it's not going to be received well because there's nothing put in place to enable that. So as good as that person potentially might have been it sounds like they weren't that there's sort of there's actually a step back you need to take before that you need to address what the what your teachers are going through and which comes back to the really sort of central uh question of cpd which is what's the problem and if you're fixing a problem that either doesn't need to be fixed or a problem that is well down the line you haven't even got to that problem yet because you still haven't fixed the basic problems, then the CPD is going to be highly ineffective. So we're obviously not talking about fire training or safeguarding because those things are largely needed to be, you need to keep recapping them every year because they are just fundamental things, but they also don't take a a large amount of your time. You can sort of knock a fire training out in sort of 10 minutes to half an hour and that's it done for the year. And you can also, um, with safeguarding, you, you could do some, fairly swift ways although i agree with you that the the online stuff can get a bit wearying um so what we're talking about is is therefore how do you not just have the good cpd whether it's national geographic or you know the happiness project or project zero the harvard one it's also what do you do with your school that creates that landing strip for the cpd to be there and to be received and to actually stick um so should we talk about should we talk about some of the research do you think yeah planned it. yeah absolutely so i think uh, it's probably worth pointing out david without blowing your trumpet too much that you've done an awful lot of work in this area and you've done effectively a postgraduate qualification on cpd so i think you're you're definitely the right person to start this off on the research front yes i i well I'm really passionate about it. It's probably besides teaching my subject and and being a form teacher, it's then the third most exciting thing that I think you can do at a school is, is to sort of enable or be part of a a school development uh, on a, on a scale. And it started for me actually in the school we all worked in. We had a school which had a thinking school ethos and as a new teacher there, I'd been teaching for about five or so years, but as a new teacher there about 10 years ago, I it started to have it work an effect on me that it started getting me interested in pedagogy. And I had some really great, there was some really great leaders we had in the school that were encouraging and would you know, slide interesting books across the table to me and say, hey, why don't you have a read of this Daniel Willingham book, you know, on memory, you might find it interesting. And that sort of gets you hooked. But it was in lockdown that was uh, I was teaching on online. 
and I sort of saw some free classes being advertised on Twitter. Um, there were some CPD events by the Teach Development Trust. And I attended a few because, you know, I had spare time. And there was a bunch of really interesting speakers. And about a week after I attended the fourth one, I got a phone call. I think I'd filled out a form and I got a phone call. And it was a guy from the Teach Development Trust saying, do you want to do a course with us, um, CPD associate leader? And I just thought, yes, I would love to do this course. I would love to know more about this. And so, and so that sort of set me off on the next year's journey of, or even I'd say, yeah, year's journey of learning. So I'm going to not go through everything in detail because I don't want to bore everyone, but there are a series of things that make up good CPD according to the research. And the, I'll go for it through the sort of the things in, in general, and then we can maybe talk about them, Aaron and Ross. So it's not just me speaking, the way to look at this, the way I sort of came to see this was that good CPD, good good teach development doesn't happen just by one thing or by one course. It happens because of, I think of it like a BLT sandwich, but more fillings than just the BLT. Uh, so loads and loads of fillings there. And uh, it's made up of a series of these factors, which all come together to kind of slightly vaguely make effective CPD. So it's got to be purposeful. Um, it's got to be, uh, have sort of some sort of sense that, you know, you're, you know what you're doing and you're targeting something as a school and as an individual that you need to work on. Uh, it's recommended that, it, that it's subject specific, which was a really interesting one. So that it's not just general pedagogy that you're learning. Um, although that does have its place. It, there's a mixture of internal and external expertise, so not just relying on your teachers who are already there, but getting experts in or going out to experts to get the, the training, Aaron like you did or Ross like you did, to get that inspiration and that knowledge. It's got to be iterative, which in a sense, it's got to be in some way repeat. Uh, it's got to have an element that it isn't just a one-off but it comes back and you find a, a way of returning to that maybe in a few months, or it may be you're using the things in the classroom over a series of time. And then you're reflecting on that later and um, supported by leaders who are involved in shaping learning impactful on student learning. This is obviously a huge one and therefore tracked in some way collaborative. Not everyone agrees with this one, but um, collaborative is one thing that comes up sometimes and finally, allowed time. And this is perhaps the thing that people keep talking about when it comes to teach development or change management is, you know, have I got the time for this? Am I being given the time for this? So that's that's the features. And these all come from some a range of research, but put together by a review by Cordingly and others, Philip Accordingly, around 2015. And then it's been built on since then with lots of linked uh linked research as well so that's a systematic review taking into account lots of different types of of research aaron do stop me speaking <laughs> no, just as you're reading save me for myself through, yeah as you're going through these so i'm i'm sort of uh taking some time to look at adult learning um in the, the the recent weeks and a lot of the things you're saying make good cpd are are within the principles of adult learning which makes, I mean, it's sort of one of those, like, of course, like, you know, because CPD is teaching adults how to teach kids, teaching adults how to, yeah, right, it's, it's like meta there, I don't know, somehow that, that works, but um, so all these, uh, uh, it's probably deliberate, and I'm just, you know, I'm just, the light bulb just went in my head finally, probably a little bit late, but the penny dropped, and those are a lot, a lot of the same things, Um it based on experience, problem oriented, you need intrinsic motivation, uh, a little bit of self-driven uh, and purposeful. Uh, you know, there has to be a problem and a, and a purpose for it. So, yeah, so that's that's all I really wanted to say is maybe, maybe I just wanted you to hear the penny drop in my head. And once we think about them, I think, you're, you know, we start seeing this this design everywhere and there's some really great platforms out there that um, are sort of utilizing this to, to good effect. 
Um, I think the way that the Teacher Development Trust themselves ran their program was obviously because they knew that research was well designed. So it was a bit of blended learning. You had a bit of online content. You had a lot of reading you had to do first. And then there were about three or four sessions that you would attend, which were very intense, but um, really jam-packed full of the, the of good stuff and also conversation, good conversation. Um, there was there's lots of sort of coming back to things that reappear later. So a bit like we teach children sort of, you know, interleaving and spacing, you were mentioning it earlier, Ross, um, that kind of sense in which you're kind of reminding yourself of something that's the iterative nature of it. So yeah, we, we can probably spot it in some of the courses we've done that are more sustained courses rather than perhaps just the one-off ones. I'm not saying the one-off ones are not good. I think they can be highly effective too. But um, they they can be more visible. This can be more visible in the sustained courses over time. Ross, well, I think you know something that comes to mind there. Listening to the iterative point is is uh, skill fade. So you know we all undergo skill fade, and we know that actually at different points, really you need to be topping that up. And so the idea of having a one off CPD is really just nonsense, isn't it? Because unless there is some sort of opportunity to put that into practice then you're not working on those skills and and really that yeah any cpd needs to be revisited in in some capacity it does the one off the one off sorry the one off cpd can be effective this is where the different subjects come in because there was a follow-up rapid review in 2018 by philip accordingly as well which looked at subject specific cpd and it found that different subjects, they looked at the way and different subjects needed slightly different approaches, um, drawing on research from various areas. Interestingly, some literacy CPD can be very well delivered in one, one succession, but you're right. It then has to be in some way, it has to be used in the classroom. So it has to be good enough that it's exactly what we were talking about at the beginning. It has to be practical so that you can go straight to the classroom and use it. Yeah, because we know, don't we, just from from pedagogy, building neurological pathways, and and it's all about use. And and so if you're if you're not using it, it might make sense on the day, but but then you're you're going to lose the ability to to recall that. For the for the one offs, is it really? Uh, and you you might know this, David. Is it really it, what makes a one off the have the ability to be successful? Is its scope that it's not trying to make this massive change like it's it's a direct sort of focused we're going to work on this skill or how to implement this specific thing into your classroom uh and then here are some resources that you can take with you to help you do that i mean is that what makes a, a one-off work instead of like hey i'm going to revolutionize your pedagogy in the next hour i don't i i don't know is the answer but i've been doing a lot of thinking about this myself because I lead an English department and therefore it's very unlikely that I would ever get to have more than a one-off for an entire set of teachers. And uh, I think, I think you'd be right. Uh, I think it's, it's then for me, say as a head of English, it would be then about how am I going to use this one-off within my setting? How am I going to create that landing strip for the, um, for the, sort of arrival of the CPD so that I spend the months before we have it really preparing the teachers so that they're ready for it. And so they have the time to put it into practice when they get it. And so that they have the structures or the planning structures so that it's going to be effective, not just a kind of thing that just appears and disappears and they've forgotten about it. So yes, it, it, it's, the, it's utilizing that good CPD in the context of where you are thinking as a whole, you need to go as a school and that's got to be developed work, but that's got to be linked, sorry, to the whole school development plan in some way so that it, it does link in with what everyone's doing. Ross? This might be slightly out of turn, but um, in terms of it being subject specific, I know this isn't technically a subject, but if you take if you take pedagogy as a subject and, and thinking back to the thinking school drive team that, that we had at, at the school we worked in together, everyone there was interested and and so for them it was a common subject and and there was purpose uh, and it was iterative because we would set each other tasks either embedding some practical work or reading a passage from uh, a, you know a relevant book and and then almost like a book club we'd we'd come back and we would review it 
and and that i suppose is the the building of the you know the revisiting isn't it and it's the the recapping on on whether or not it was useful so i think you know it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the entire school but but there are ways to to do it yes and and it's it's not that it won't be effective if it's generic pedagogy it's more that um it's more likely to be effective if there's subject specific elements to it and also it's giving the teachers time either in groups or individually to reflect on how what they've learnt maybe it's sort of uh, some sort of mapping technique or something can relate to their subject in their class uh, as they'll need more help with that more modeling of that and other teachers who are more experts won't yeah and so what we're saying is really we need to be within a setting where the culture is there and that these opportunities occur and that valuable time is given over to 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 this sort of thing and so i suppose what that boils down to is the school leadership actually believing in in the value of cpd and and, and perhaps living it a bit a bit like in our sustainable development goal conver- conversation um you know it it has to be shown from the top you know that that value has to be believed in uh and so really can you think of of an example of of how a school might might provide that sort of support. Does anything come to mind, Aaron? Well, just one thing that comes to mind is is leaving room for for error and development within that. So once you get a you know a useful CPD that may impact your practice, it takes you a while to to really effectively implement that in a in a useful way. There may be missteps along the way, and as you do that. And to have a leadership that's understanding of, hey, they're experimenting with with expanding how they're doing stuff. It may not look great the first couple of times around, but they're they're headed in the right direction and to support that and to leave room for, I guess, leaving room for error. Yes. And we can all think of schools we've worked in where there's been some great leaders, uh, whether they're middle leaders or sort of senior management who have really stepped things forwards by the quality of, of what they're doing in the school. And I think that's the point of which me, for, for myself as a teacher, I've made steps forward in my learning and in my teaching. There's a great book that I want to recommend uh, by a New Zealand writer called Vivian Robinson. Uh, she's an academic uh, who used to be at the University of Auckland. And it's uh, her book's called Reduce Change to Increase Improvement. And I think the title kind of says it all there. Uh, it's something you can immediately think yes it's 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 not just about the change uh coming in like the new leader making change it's about what improvement is that going to create and she talks she's got a load of great things in that book um and you can also find podcasts and stuff with her as well talking and videos on youtube but the the nuggets the essence of it is being prepared to have the difficult conversations with your staff being prepared to accept that you may not have the whole answer and continue to have those conversations where you check in with 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 staff as a whole and i I say teachers but actually it does include all members of staff in school because these changes will affect everybody so it's it's really kind of opening yourself wide as a leader to understand what's happening in the school what's the problem and coming to a shared understanding before you sort of make these big changes because she said, if you don't have that shared understanding, it's not really going to work because the, the the culture of the school isn't going to be ready to receive it. Ross. Yeah. So in terms of developing that empathy, I think one of the most important things leaders can do is to undertake professional review and, and to, to actually annually go in and sit down with staff and, and to discuss what are their hopes for their own professional development and and to maybe identify strengths and 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 actually all of this really comes back to staff retention and i think you know every i'm sure every school in the world has a great team it's just whether or not the members of the team are being motivated and and deployed in the right areas and and developed and and if we see all of us on our own individual learning journeys we all want to improve at, at certain things and i think really the 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 key for leaders is to to get down onto 
you know, an individual level to work out what motivates each individual within the team. Because I think the, the worst thing you can do is not support those members. They leave and that has really a detrimental effect to the overall educational provision of the school. And, think, and it's it's sort of the opposite of what, um, you know, we, we were saying there with, you know, Vivian's book, so reduce change. Well, the easiest way to reduce change is to, to I would say, hold on to members of staff. One of the challenges, I think, for for leaders to do that is is to get an authentic look at what happens in each teacher's classrooms and and then see what those teachers existing strengths are and then so they don't have to you know you don't want to to ask a teacher to change something that's their strengths already and in the same way that cpd can't be a token one-off appraisal can't be either well there has to be there has to be observations that aren't tied to your professional appraisal right because that it's the idea of observing something automatically changes what you're observing and if it's a high stakes observation you're not getting the most authentic look at what a teacher may do on a day-to-day basis when they're relaxed when they're having fun when they're when they're engaging in learning you're looking at what a teacher's doing you know what presented in a way that they think is going to make you happy and their appraisal go well and it's actually very similar to classroom practice when we, we look at assessing the pupils formatively and summatively. And, and actually, if you take that and, and, and apply that to staff appraisal, that, that really is a more, I suppose, authentic, rounded way to do it. And there's some super interesting stuff about teacher sort of turnover and how it affects children, because ultimately to come back to why we're doing all of this uh, teacher development, CPD, why we're talking about this is because of the students, of the children that we teach, because whatever we do has got to be uh, at the heart about making their learning experience, their school experience better and ensuring that they have all of the things open to them that we want to have open to them. And I think good schools, you find good schools with good leadership, good culture, do that not just because the teachers are learning, say, something more that they can take into the classroom, but because the culture itself creates this upward positive spiral, um, which brings everybody up and with the children really benefiting the most from every, from it at all. But high turnover, I mean, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of stuff. There's some evidence to show that it um, affects pupils the most. Uh, schools that have higher turnover uh, affects pupils the most who are low income pupils, uh, say on free school meals in the UK. Uh, and there's good evidence to suggest that um, experience can help, experienced teachers staying in the profession can help reduce absenteeism and also increase grades. Uh, that uh, we talked a little bit about the teacher expertise in the previous one in our teacher retention and teacher leaving conversations. Uh, and we mentioned this before, but the value of having a teacher who's getting better and better as they're staying in a school and not leaving that school uh, is is really incalculable as a sort of uh, benefit to the children in that school. And and I think as well, you know, if, if you view the school as having its own individual culture and its own sort of idiosyncrasies, those things take a while for members of staff to become sort of comfortable with, au fait with, and and really, you know, you're you're talking a couple of years really, and until that teacher is totally relaxed and a, in that environment and able to focus on the on the job at hand, and so I mean, continual change is just disastrous. And I think you know, I, I don't have a stat for it. I would love to see a stat for it, but it, but anecdotally we're all very aware of those schools with excellent reputations nationally, internationally, and it's very rare that roles come up in those schools. Uh, I've heard. Sorry, Aaron, you go. uh, I can't cite my source here, but I've I've heard this a few times. It takes three to five years to, to build an authentic culture in a school with, with shared values and, and goals. So if within that five years, your entire staff, or a big portion of your staff has turned over, then you're almost continuously starting over trying to build that culture. And if we're talking, if we're talking stats and data, I mean, Vivian Robinson from a paper in 2009 has an extraordinary stat here, which is that uh, the effect of leadership involvement in teacher CPD is something like 
an effect size of 0.85, just with effect sizes, anything over 0.2 to 0.4 is seen as a moderate to a large effect size. So for a 0.585 effect size, that's that's really huge. So the second uh, biggest impact on children in a school after the teachers uh, is the leadership and having an impact on their learning, their well-being, everything they experience in a school. Um, it really matters. And those teachers staying and those leaders staying, those heads staying in those positions for an extended period of time will only make things better if they are learning and developing and and and, and shaping the culture as, as you would want them to be. So if if you're looking at if you're in a school right now, uh, which mm. I think many of our listeners are, how would you expect your like a, your school to to start developing these plans? Is this a five year? This a three year? Like, how do these organizations start to implement? You know, massive change towards the the culture, the the learning environment that they're looking for. How do we do that effectively? I, I suspect they're probably already doing it. And um, every, more or less, most schools will be thinking about change in some way, whatever that is, even if it's just changed to the order of the lunchroom and the way you set it up, they'll be thinking about what they do. And because when you arrive at at a school or when you're even at a school for a while, you're never starting a point of change. You're already, you're always entering a school at a point at which it's already changing in some way. It's very unusual to come to a school that isn't in some way developing or thinking about developing. But the question is, is it the right thing you're doing? And I think you talked about, Aaron, this sunk cost fallacy. Was that right? Yeah, the the idea you that you've already that invested. Because I can't remember it. Yeah, you've already invested so much in into whatever you're doing that you you just follow it through, even though you know it it may not be the best path. That's, and I that, think that there's a lot of that in schools, uh, the sense of, of fo- trying to follow something through, even if it's not really answering the question, what is the problem here? But I think it, it, to answer your question, Aaron, you said, how long does this take? It really depends on the school and it depends on the problem or problems that they identify. But the first thing is always to come back to start, keep asking those questions to yourself, to your staff, to your governors, to your pupils, uh, to the parents and the admin staff, the support staff, you know, what's happening in our culture? What do we need to develop? And obviously those questions are more more specific than that to what you need. You often know the kind of direction you want to go, what it is you want to look at. And sometimes those things jump out at you. Uh, for example, if, you're, if your writing scores are super low and have been for the last three years, or your SATs in the UK, we have SATs in, in, in primary schools here, uh, are, are sort of under the national average. There's an obvious answer. It's pretty clear what the problem is. You need to work on your writing. You need to work on your maths or or something. There's a and there's a real clear measure of how you will get there and how it will look when you're successful. But for some other problems, the questions, the, the problems aren't that obvious, uh, and they need a lot of digging and a lot of a lot of repeated checking in with with sort of staff and and everybody really. Ross. I was just going to say, obviously, you know, all all schools have a development plan. And when they're inspected, that is, you know, that's item number one, isn't it? You know, the schools um, want to evidence or need to evidence that they have a vision for progress in in one way or another. Uh, And obviously, you know, we're not just talking about attainment. But um, what I was going to also say was, the development plan is often influenced by either uh, sort of reactionary measures. So, you know, as you said, one year there's, a, let's say, a disastrous, uh, you know, um, set of grades that come in. And so the development plan reacts to, to trying to prevent that from occurring in the future. Uh, and, you, you know, you give the example of, um, you know, handwriting or whatever it is. So um, the, there's that. But, but then actually, you know, the development plan should really be forward thinking and future proofing. And that can't really happen if CPD is totally internal and, and if it's effectively an echo chamber. You know, if, if no, if your leadership team isn't going off site and, and being inspired and being told things that have worked elsewhere, then, you know, it, it's really just... Uh, a series of of ideas being bounced around the chamber, isn't it? And so, um, I think for things to be 
forward thinking really it, it touches upon what eve said of a few weeks ago doesn't it this this idea of well what where would we like the school to go and and futures thinking and and actually maybe using the values that we hold and and in this case you know the sustainable development goals would would be something you could touch upon and i know they're a temporary set of measures but let's just say in an ideal world they were achieved by 2030 you go back to your development plan and you do a whole nother load of features thinking and you come up with some more points to work towards. Is, is the development, like the, the development plan part of that, I think, is, is to touch on something David talked about a while, avoiding with kids, and that's cognitive overload. Um, it, you can't change, you can't make massive, massive change in a year. Um, so you have to plan that change out in a, in a useful and, and attainable way so that you're not telling all of your teachers throw out what you've done next year. You're doing everything differently. You're, you're providing a, a meaningful and uh, achievable path to your goals. Is, is that something that you, you touched on in your, in your studies, David, just sort of how to, to, to get to that endpoint without, you know, burning teachers out or stressing mm. them out. Yes. And it's, it's extraordinarily complex and I can't claim to understand it. I done some reading about this, but there's just a whole lot of learning to do about what it looks like in practice. And I suspect it's going to be different in every setting, but the idea of change management and understanding change management, it's, I can't remember where I've read this, but it suggested that leaders who are doing this stuff actually do have to have an understanding of how change happens. Um, it's not enough to just understand what it is you want to change. And it's not enough to just understand that, say, I don't know, we're going to be doing direct instruction right now. You know, all the teachers are going to be doing direct instruction or all the teachers are going to be doing cold call or one of these techniques. You've got to also understand how how do we actually get to that point um, with with things the the suggestion is that again it's actually there's a whole series of different um people in a school who are involved and who you're talking with and feeding back to and having these constant conversations with um but at the heart of that is the is the children taking it back to the children all the time is uh the really important thing that you've got to do because these are the people whose lives we're impacting and I, I think we also, it's it's a lot about, you know, it was mentioned earlier, Ross, empathy, but it's about being kind and it's about being thoughtful and it's about being reflective as professionals in our environment where we're dealing with um, huge cognitive load every day. And we are working in this extraordinarily exciting environments that schools are and just being continually reminding ourselves to 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 be open to be kind to have be part of that culture ourselves that we want to see um and that's hopefully not a facile thing like the speaker that you had Aaron that you mentioned telling you to be flexible but a really lived thing that feels like your whole team your whole staff and the pupils and the parents and the governors and the people who clean in the school and the people who are serving the lunches are all believing and feel is such a vital part of the education because then that's, it's a lived it's a lived thing not a not a uh, something that's just on a policy or on, on a development plan that's that intrinsic motivation right that, mm. that's a key part of in, in buy-in from from your staff if you can't convince them it's the right path and a meaningful path then you know uh, people aren't going to put a lot of effort into following that path and also to ensure that leaders aren't on their own i you know i know sometimes that we can be quite critical of leaders uh when we feel they've made the wrong decisions or they're not supporting us enough but i also do believe it's really important to support leaders and to to be clear you know to, to sometimes that means you know, saying when you think things, when you think things aren't right or that having being, but, but also being supportive of when you think they're really, when you have leaders that are really good intentioned and making good effort to improve the school and um, 
yes, not just being the sort of whiny teacher that I feel I sometimes can be. I'm not saying other teachers are like this, but I definitely know this about myself. I can grumble a bit and um, I have to remind myself that we're all, we're all there for the same thing ultimately. And, uh, you know, 90% of people in that, in our settings, just, you know, if not everybody in our setting just wants what's best for the children. I think, you know, leadership is, is something that we should come back to in, in a separate episode and, and maybe we should have mm. some leaders on, for, you know, to be interviewed. And we, we obviously know a few people who volunteered uh, for an episode. And I think that would be a really good thing. Um, it, David, you're absolutely right. I think being a leader can, can actually be quite a lonely experience. And I think really to, to be an effective leader, you, you actually need to demonstrate that empathy so that the people that that you're hopefully developing as as a leader should be developing those within the team those people need to really come with you and i think you know if they're able to empathize with you if that if that empathy is is going both ways then you know that's where you achieve that that true sort of camaraderie and you you galvanize people together and 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 all of that and that i think bringing it back to cpd obviously the focus of this episode one of the the most effective things I've experienced on the sort of receiving end was actually having a, a leader who pushed me to do more CPD. And, you know, as we know, CPD is costly in terms of time and resources. But if you have a leader who genuinely believes that it is beneficial and could see that that CPD was not only going to improve me, the environment, but it was also probably going to retain me as well. Um, and, and give me that sort of second wind, then, you know, I think that's what it's about. And I, I know schools increasingly have uh, an annual CPD budget and, and staff have opportunities to select their own CPD. And I think that that is really where where we should be aiming for, just that autonomy amongst staff to, to select some course to go on that is relevant to them and and each staff will have each member of staff will have their own targets that they're working towards. And so, you know, the really the one size fits all CPD is um, it's being exposed as perhaps not that effective. Uh, well, we're going uh, to hear from we're going to hear from a leader in a, a setting. We're going to interview someone who's going to cast and talk a little about what it looks like to design CPD for uh, a group of, of, of teachers and a group of staff, not just teachers. Um, and I think it'd be really interesting in the context of this conversation we've had to then see what it looks like on the ground in a, in a setting that none of us are in. I think um, all the, all the examples we gave uh, of our personal sort of favorite or most useful CPDs, correct me if I'm wrong, were things that we sought out our, ourselves and weren't uh, a top-down directive uh, which I think says a lot towards a, a good CPD plan for a school is to is to allow space for teachers to do that and to identify their own areas of weakness or where they feel they need improvement or can improve and to to have time and the resources to act on that instead of having you know somebody else who may come in their classroom once or twice a year tell them what's best for them. And and sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to be reflective, uh, you know, if, if there aren't those opportunities. And, and I think appraisal is quite a powerful opportunity for, for getting that conversation going. And, and, and actually, maybe the person that doing the appraising needs to be a bit more forthright with, with suggestions, you know, because it, it might be that, you know, particularly more established members of staff, if they've been in the same role year after year, uh, and and the the elements of their their day to day job haven't changed. It might be that actually they're not aware of the CPD that's available, or um, you know they're they're lacking in a, a little bit of motivation. I, I I know personally speaking, I've I've been in that boat, and and it was so beneficial to have someone suggest to me to to look at a particular course. So um, I think I think that is something which again culture the, the culture in an environment if, if they can really push that um I, I think they're on to a winner and also for people who've been outside of education for a while maybe because they've been on paternity or maternity leave possibly because of illness or just they've taken a break and they've come back it's also i think identifying those people who need uh sort of 
or want to have something, but don't quite know what it is, like you said, Ross. And they to sort of quickly suggest, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you take this course? Um, and you know, having that kind of push sense of this, this find something you're really interested in that applies to your role, and and tell me what it is. And if not, we can look at some other things that you might like. So, are we saying that uh, it's a good practice for leaders in education to encourage learning? is it that simple what we've been talking about i'd go further than that i'd say that if you are looking at a job as a teacher as a new teacher or as a someone who wants to switch jobs and you find that there isn't really a culture of encouraging cpd or of teachers going to doing cpd either in the school or out i just run a mile i would say it's 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 not a setting that would in that I would want to go to myself and I wouldn't recommend it for, you know, for teachers to go to unless there's some plans to sort of like to develop that or change it. I just think it's fundamental as we've said in this whole episode to being like lifelong learner and for the school to keep improving in a way that is manageable. I think just probably a discussion for another day would be how, covid has has impacted the ability to do some of these things that we're talking about because it's it like definitely for me being on an island quite isolated it became more and more difficult to to do meaningful cpd because the opportunities had to be online and it was very difficult for the school to get people to come in uh, because of you know travel restrictions and stuff like that so it'd be cool to kind of look at, at how that impacted and how we're coming out of it and and getting back into into this atmosphere of improving and learning well, i think now we're back in the classroom one of the things i'd like to explore and i'd love people to email in if they're doing this in their settings but when we were all working together in in london one of the things that we were on the cusp of introducing and and i kick myself regularly for not introducing this um the timing didn't quite work and you know we we actually ended up leaving just before we were launching it and basically it was this idea of of lifelong learning within the school so we were blessed with i think um you know a reasonable amount of ppa i know that's all relative um isn't it to to all of us and we can get quite accustomed to to what that uh, PPA is and you know the grass is always greener but essentially the the big idea the light bulb uh, was to use some of that as optional CPD time where members of staff that were happy to have other teachers sitting in on a lesson could do so and other teachers could sign up. So, for instance, I my, my Latin's pretty atrocious. You know, I can just about get my head around Regnans in Excelsis uh, when I have to dust that off. But, um, you know, I, I was really keen to go and, and watch our classics teacher teach. And I, I was quite happy to go and sit in and, and sacrifice one of my PPA lessons and, and not only learn the actual subject matter, but also see how it was being delivered. And so that's like regular active CPD. And, and if that, you know, if you magnify that across the setting and lots of teachers are doing that, e- even just one period a week, then you create this atmosphere of lifelong learning and the pupils are so aware of it. And suddenly they think that actually learning isn't just something you do, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, whilst you're at, at primary school or prep school or senior school. It's something you do, you know, uh, to, to the bitter end well i mean i think that's as good a place to leave it as any i think we've had a fantastic discussion i've thoroughly enjoyed um talking with you ross and aaron about this topic so perhaps one thing we should do before we we leave is just share what we're doing ourselves and and you know are, are we doing any cpd at the moment have we got something on our mind that we'd like to start uh, are we reading anything um, that would would constitute CPD? Uh, Aaron, what what are you doing? I know you've been doing quite a lot recently. Yeah. Uh, so my my focus recently has been on just sort of dipping my toes into adult learning and how that's uh, different. Or there's a lot of similarities, but uh, how how to teach adults 
differently than you would uh, children. Uh, and one of the books I've picked up on this that I think is useful, and I'll show it to you guys who can look, but it's called uh, Design for How People Learn uh, by Julie Dirksen. Uh, so that's, I think, a, a useful look at learning in a different perspective. Ross, what are you doing? So I, I haven't started this particular uh, course yet, but I, I just came across it again as a result of some CP, uh, as a result of an appraisal. Um, <clears throat> the government have a levy budget, which I, I wasn't even aware of, the apprenticeship levy. And they've put aside quite a bit of funding for teacher development. And essentially, any teacher can sign up to do a, a free, fully funded postgraduate course and it's in educational leadership. And depending on the provider you go through, there are different titles and, you know, different avenues. But um, I've been doing a lot of research just to sort of identify the, the course that I think I'm going to go down. But there are courses for senior leaders, aspiring senior leaders, you know, courses for, for teachers um, and, and their, their master's level. So uh, I would definitely look at that if you're if you're feeling that that's something that that interests you and of course you can do it alongside work um obviously we all have our own commitments but but that's something that i'm i'm definitely sort of actively exploring at the moment something i'm reading at the moment so i've i've just finished reading kurt hahn's principles of education and uh, as someone that loves the outdoors and and thinks that actually we should all be outdoors a lot more than we are um, it just, you know, it might have been written a century ago, but but essentially, it's uh, it's as I would say important now, if not more important now, than it was when it was written. And and what I'm trying to do is to use those principles in my teaching practice as, as often as I can. Um, and and yeah, it's it's not a long read. So again, Kurt Hahn's Principles of Education, and uh, with my subject leader hat on as the head of English in a primary school. I have been trying to get my head around phonics. Um, so for those who don't know, synthetic phonics is the primary way of teaching children to read from early years through year one, year two, uh, and then as sort of intervention if needed, sort of beyond that. And as someone who's learnt to teach a secondary English when I trained and I've moved into primary in only the last 10 years, phonics for me is seems incredibly interesting but also very complex so our school's been doing a little bit of internal training with training with phonics and the school that i'm a governor at um is uh, also implementing some new phonics stuff which is i find really interesting and i've in terms of reading i've also be uh, want to read a book by vivian robinson i mentioned her earlier uh, it's called virtuous educational leadership doing the right work the right way um, but I haven't started that yet, so I will update you when when I've read it. Brilliant. So, I mean, that's probably a good point to to end on. And I know we've got an interview lined up, or rather David has organised an interview. It's, um, you know, it, it's becoming a bit of a competition, isn't it, now, as to who can get the most interviews in the bag for the for the pod. Um, Aaron, any interviews on the horizon? No? Just working, working on it, just to keep keep an eye on this, this space for a while. <laughs> long, long, uh, long while. Yeah, um, I live on an yeah. island. There aren't that many people here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a tiny island. Tiny I was going to say, we're on an island too. You've been listening to The Rest is Education. I'm Ross Porthwick. I'm Aaron Huber. And I'm David Marshall. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And you can also email us at therestiseducation at gmail.com.